Hi, everybody. I'm Larry Gassman, co-chair of Tech Talk and Accessible World. And we are in the Pat Price Tech Talk training room today, October 25th, 2021. And for quite a while, you've all been hearing about autonomous vehicles. What are they? What impact do they have for those of us who are blind? And what's the future going to be holding? And uh, there's a lot of stuff about them. Uh, it's a very popular item among blind people. And Ron Brooks is at the forefront of all of that, and he's going to talk to us about that, answer questions, etc. and it should be a fun hour. So uh, I can't remember whether you've ever been with us before, Ron, but uh, nevertheless, thanks for being with us on Tech Talk. Well, thank you. <clears throat> so I'm happy to be here. I have not ever been a guest on Tech, no- Tech Talk. I think I've probably been an audience participant at some point. Yes, uh, but thank you for uh, thank you for having me. So, so let me just uh, jump right in and get as much out of this hour as we are able. Um, and I will I will just uh, quickly um, just give kind of an overview, a little bit of kind of who I am, what I've been uh, up to, and how I got involved in autonomous vehicles, what I know and what I don't know, uh, and then we can kind of jump into the topic. and And I'll start. kind of an overview of the technology, uh, how it, you know, kind of where is it in use? What is, what does that look like? And then we'll get into some of the accessibility implications. Uh, and then hopefully uh, we'll have some time at the end. We can just kind of have some more open discussion around autonomous vehicles. So as far as uh, for, for me, um, I am blind also. I'm a member of ACB uh, for a long time. And I'm originally from Indiana. I've lived in a number of states around the country. Uh, my wife, Lisa, and I uh, have lived in the Phoenix area for the last 15 years. Um, and uh, we have three kids. We live in our own home. And uh, we, we like it down here in the Valley of the Sun, where it was uh, a beautiful 90 degrees and sunny today. Um, I will take that over just about anything. So what uh, my... my Entire career background has been in the public transit industry. I started working for public transit agencies in 1993, uh, and I've been in the industry ever since. And I've worked exclusively in the areas of accessible transit for folks with disabilities, uh, including blind and visually impaired people, and also in the area of paratransit. So helping people uh, like me and like all of us who have disabilities or who, ha- who have uh, visual impairment or blindness, helping us navigate transportation. Uh, that is my mission. That's my goal. That's what I want to leave the world with is better transportation uh, for folks who need it. In 2021, so right at the beginning of this year, I was working for a company that was bringing on-demand transportation into the world. And that company, uh, because of pandemic, decided to Uh, exit from the transportation industry and focus on their other business, which was more in the medical transportation space. And so I was um, invited to uh, go away. Um, And I took that as an opportunity to start a business uh, called Accessible Avenue, uh, which is really focused on helping the transportation and and mobility industry, which includes autonomous vehicles, uh, to be more accessible and inclusive for people with disabilities. So I work with uh, transportation providers, transit agencies, cities, towns, whoever will hire me 
um, in the space of making their services, their products, their technologies more accessible for people with disabilities so that we can move around in, in the environment with as, with as little friction as possible. So with regard to autonomous vehicles, uh, my involvement with autonomous vehicles began actually while I was working at a public transit agency. Uh, I was working for Valley Metro in Phoenix, Arizona, overseeing paratransit and some other uh, accessibility-related services. And the agency that I worked for had received a grant to develop a relationship with a company called Waymo, which I'm sure many of you have heard of, which is an autonomous vehicle um, provider, manufacturer and provider. They actually don't manufacture technology. They're more of on on the provider side. But the, the idea that the agency had was, what if we used autonomous vehicles to provide people with disabilities transportation? Would that work? What would it look like? Would people accept it? Would they use it? And the reason they did it was they had a grant uh, from the federal government to test this theory. And so because of the role that I had, I had the opportunity to get involved with uh, autonomous vehicles, uh, to learn about the technology a little bit, to um, ride in an autonomous vehicle as part of the, the pilot. I was one of the people who helped kind of organize the pilot project. Um, and get that project set up and, and work with Waymo and, and work with the community to, to, to launch this program. So, so I'm sitting in this, I'm, I'm at the Waymo facility in Chandler, Arizona. Uh, we signed all sorts of non-disclosure agreements and promised and pinky swore that we'd never tell a soul anything. Um, and everything I'm telling you now is, is public. It's not, in, it's not covered by the non-disclosure agreement. This is all public information, but, but I'm sitting in a vehicle that I, I, that had no, no one driving it. I mean, there was somebody there who could step in if something bad happened, but the vehicle was literally driving itself. I'm sitting here going, my God, if I had one of these or had access to one of these, I could go places without obnoxious drivers asking me questions about my blindness, refusing access to my guide dog, you know, being nosy. Um, I, I could like, this could be really, really cool. So I decided to really take it upon myself to learn a little bit more and to promote this technology as a way that people who have disabilities can come into the transportation, into a transportation technology and into a transportation space completely on par with everybody else. Because if a vehicle doesn't have a driver, I mean, that's the one thing we as blind people can't do. We can't drive cars. But but if you have an autonomous vehicle, they don't need drivers. Nobody drives it. Sighted people don't drive them. We don't drive. They, do, they drive themselves, you know, with input, obviously, from us uh, to tell it where to go and these sorts of things. But in theory, we should be able to use this technology as the same as everybody else. But of course, the key is in the details. It has to be accessible and it has to work. So that is really how I got into autonomous vehicles. Um, so here's what I know um, and, and some things that I don't know. Um, I know that autonomous vehicles, um, I, I, know about, I know about the basics of the industry. Um, I've never worked for an auto, autonomous vehicle manufacturer, so I'm not deep into the technology. I know a little bit, uh, enough to answer basic questions, to talk through 
kind of what are the basic technologies that, that autonomous vehicles use? Um, what are the, the, the potential business models that autonomous vehicles are likely to take? What are the accessibility considerations that are out there for the industry that, that people are working to solve? Um, and where might it go from here? What I do not know is all the technical details. Um, those, are, you know, those are questions for people that are, that, you know, are a little bit more technical. Um, and I also don't know what, what is ultimately going to happen in terms of the federal government and how it will regulate this industry. And you know, the big questions are, how will it be regulated and when will it launch? There's no question in my mind that the technology will evolve and it will be available. The only question is when, and the only question is how is it going to be regulated? And those questions, honestly, nobody knows the answers to yet. So I'm going to talk about the overviews, uh, just give a little bit of overview of levels of autonomy, and then we can take a quick break and catch up with any questions or comments that people have. And levels of autonomy is important. It's a little bit academic, but it's important because, because the industry is moving quickly. And you'll hear people talk about level one, level two, level three, level four, level five, and level zero. And all that means is how autonomous is the vehicle. And it's really very basic. Level zero is my dad's 1973 Chevy pickup truck. If you wanted it to do something, you did it as the driver. The truck didn't do anything that the driver didn't do. That's level zero, no autonomy. Levels one and two are levels of autonomy where the vehicle offers some autonomous functionality but it is driven by a driver and the autonomy helps the driver. So if you hear things like lane assist, parking assistance, um, even to some extent um, um, cruise control, because cruise control now cars can actually adjust their speed to, to traffic. Those are level one and two features of autonomy. They are autonomous. The car is making decisions, but it is, in service to the driver. The driver still has to drive the vehicle. Um, levels one and two autonomy are very common in cars today. They're, most new cars have some, some of these features are in place. Level three autonomy, which is kind of the middle, is basically it is, it, the car is driving itself, but the driver is required to intervene um, and to be in the driver's seat to intervene um, frequently. Um, a Tesla, the, the Teslas that you hear about, these are level three autonomous vehicles. The vehicle can absolutely drive itself, but, but the driver has to be in the driver's seat um, and intervening at any point along the way that, that the car needs help. Um, and in fact, um, I believe it's a safety feature on Tesla that the car will not drive if there is not a body in the driver's seat um, with hands on the wheel. So that's level three autonomy. Autonomous, but the driver has to intervene. Level four is where it starts to get good. And level four and level five are basically the same with one ginormous exception. The, it's full autonomy. The car is driving. There's no one in the driver's seat. There might not even be a driver's seat. The only difference is that in level four autonomy, the car is operating inside of a geofence, meaning that the area where it is, is all mapped and the car can only go inside the areas that are mapped. Um, 
that that is that is kind of the leading edge of autonomous vehicles right now. Level five is full autonomy anywhere on planet Earth. The car can go, and it doesn't need a driver ever. That's level five. We are not to level five autonomy. It doesn't exist. To my knowledge, it does not exist at this time. So let me just stop. That was a lot of kind of information. Any questions or comments about levels of autonomy or anything I've mentioned so far? Ron Ailey, any hands raised yet? No hands up right Not now. Yet. Let's see. Oh, here comes one. Jerry Hogan. I have heard on Leo Laporte, the tech guy, and I've been listening to the news. And people are, they fasten the seatbelt and they pretend that they're in, this, in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. And they're sitting in the back seat of the car and let the car drive itself. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there's always, you know, if, you know, if there's a way to do something stupid, people will find it and, and, and make good use of it. Unfortunately, it leads to accidents. Level three autonomous vehicles are not safe to be on the road without a driver in the driver's seat. I agree um, with you. <laughs> so, agreed. Any other comments or questions? Ron, what about the person who says, I'm not so sure as a blind person that, I want to involve myself in this because what happens, for instance, since it's a computer-driven car, in essence, it's it's computer-driven, something goes wrong and all of a sudden it's not controlled by the computer anymore. How does a blind person protect him or herself uh, against so, other yeah, cars? Well, yeah. yeah, let's talk about that when we get down. I'm going to get into okay. some of the consi- kind of some of the accessibility considerations. Yep. And I think that lands right in that conversation. Okay. Okay. okay, Mitchell has his hand up. Hey, can you go back over the difference what you were explaining the first time? I didn't catch all of it. Um, I'll go really quickly. So level zero is no automation. That's your 1973 Chevy pickup. You do it all or it does nothing. Levels one and two, that's some automation, but there is a driver driving the vehicle. So automation assists the driver. Level three, this is your Tesla. This is the car is automated. It can drive itself, but there needs to be a driver in the driver's seat to intervene. Level four is full autonomy. The vehicle drives itself, but it's inside of a mapped geofence. And level five is full automation. The car can drive itself. It doesn't need to be mapped. It, it, turn it loose on planet Earth and it can drive. That's level five. It does not exist yet, to my knowledge. I always say to my knowledge, because these guys, you know, they don't go around parading what they've done because um, they're all competing with each other. So, all right. Okay, Travis is next. Awesome. So my question is, you know, if there was an autonomous vehicle for a blind and visually impaired person, like how would it work? Would it like speak to the person basically? Yep. Uh, like what's the future? I'm going to get into that. Okay, that sounds okay. good. All right. Okay. Let me, Joe, let me go ahead. Um, let me just talk about the use cases right now that are being developed. What, what are the current use cases under development for autonomous vehicles? Um, there are many and they are evolving. So we know, I mean, and some I won't spend any time on because they're not really passenger transportation. Um, autonomous trucks are already driving on our roads. There are some in some locations. Um, and I believe they are probably uh, operating in short haul and they are probably, um, staff. I don't know a lot about the trucking side, um, but they are out there. 
there are some companies using um, large, I'll, I'll call them very small vehicles or maybe very large robots uh, doing delivery. Um, I believe it was uh, Pizza Hut. I think it's Pizza Hut launched in Houston, Texas. Uh, might be Papa John's. One of the two uh, launched uh, autonomous delivery service uh, using uh, essentially uh, vehicles that have storage capacity to bring pizzas to people in uh, Houston, Texas within a small area. Um, and I think that's level four autonomy. Those vehicles are operating on mapped uh, in mapped areas of Houston around this particular uh, Papa John's or Pizza Hut or whatever it is. Um, we are seeing some autonomous vehicles now being used uh, in uh, in traffic and with customers in back seats in the Phoenix area. Uh, Waymo has launched a, a pilot version of a customer service, sort of like Uber or Lyft, using autonomous vehicles. That is operating in uh, portions of the Phoenix metropolitan area, and uh, it's very it's level four autonomy. It's a very small area that the vehicles are currently operating in, but they're expanding that area. Uh, as they develop. Uh, There is some autonomous vehicle testing uh, and early deployments happening in California. Um, A number of states, actually. Texas has quite a bit. And there's a lot of um, what I'm going to call autonomous vehicles that are operating essentially on a wire. So these, uh, there's a company called Beep, um, that is operating uh, shuttles in national parks. And those shuttles are autonomous and they basically map a route for the shuttle that literally runs in a loop and the vehicle runs on that loop. And those services are currently in, uh, in position and operating in a number of places. So we are seeing some early adoption, you know, things coming into the space. Um, so it is, so this technology is coming. This is not a question of when, again, it, it's already here. It's just here in very small amounts. Um, so it will continue to accelerate. Um, I think the use cases for kind of what, what did the business models look like? There's really a couple, um, at this point, uh, and I mean, there will be more, you know, there's a private ownership approach where everybody buys a vehicle and you put it in your garage, kind of like the car that you have now. Um, and you take that vehicle out whenever you want and you use it to go wherever you want and you, you know, use an app or you program the vehicle or however that looks. Um, that's one approach. That is not the model that most people believe uh, is going to be the one that takes off. Um, the industry, because most people's cars, statistically, most cars sit in the driveway or they sit in a parking lot at someone's workplace. 95% of the time that a car is, is owned by a person, it is parked. Um, which basically means that the cost of operating that car is 20 times higher than it would be if you only used it when you actually needed it. Um, For that reason, most people believe that a better model is to have these cars available uh, so that people can basically call one when they need it uh, and use it for the trip that they want to take. And then sort of like Uber or Lyft, except there's no driver. Um, that is the model that many people believe is going to be the model that that gets to the you know, gets to the ground first, uh, and that's the model that Waymo, as an example, is operating. They have a fleet of vehicles. Um, now, currently, some of those are staffed and some are not. 
Um, say, for example, here in Phoenix, you might get a vehicle with an observer uh, who is not driving, but they're observing and mapping and intervening if needed. And then you have vehicles that are fully autonomous with nobody in them. Those vehicles are basically, uh, they're out and about and circulating and customers have an app uh, on their phone. When they want to take a trip, they call the vehicle, the vehicle comes to them. They take the trip that they want to take, and then the vehicle departs to, to do another trip. Um, so that, that model is probably the model that for the private consumer market is going to launch first. Um, and I think the other use case right now is in the shuttle market. And I kind of described a little bit of this. Vehicles uh, that seat 8 to 12, you know, maybe up to 15 people circulating uh, on routes in, in neighborhoods, maybe in shopping centers, maybe in parks um, that basically transport people uh, through, you know, through these smaller spaces. Th- those are the models that are kind of coming into play first. Um, who knows where it goes from there. So, so jumping in and talking about what does this look like for people who are blind or who have, um, and I want to focus on blindness. If we want to talk on other disabilities, I'll kind of cover that a little bit more uh, in the questions if somebody has specific questions. I will say just in the one comment I will make for folks using mobility devices, um, the industry is already very focused um, on the fact that this technology needs to be accessible uh, for people with disabilities, including people who use wheelchairs, scooters, and other types of mobility devices. Uh, maybe not every vehicle, but certainly if you launch a car service to operate in a metropolitan area and transport the public uh, who call you with an app, you're going to have the responsibility of having some vehicles that can transport people who use wheelchairs. So all of the manufacturers, may I shouldn't say all, but the many of the major manufacturers and um, service providers in the autonomous space are actively working on how do we design a vehicle that's accessible for anybody to use, including people who use wheelchairs, including people who are blind, including people uh, maybe who have uh, intellectual disabilities, uh, maybe people who aren't tech savvy, uh, people who maybe don't have access to a smartphone even. All of those use cases are in the conversation right now for how this technology is going to uh, be developed and deployed. So for blind people, what we, we again, we don't know yet because the industry hasn't fully answered it. Um, about six months ago, actually it's been a little, yeah, about six months ago, there was a series of uh, the Department of Transportation um, held a listening series with the disability community uh, with other stakeholders around these questions of how do we make this technology accessible? And some of the ideas that came up were, um, if there is an app, of course, it needs to be accessible for people with disabilities. It has to meet uh, developer accessibility standards. It's got to be VPAT certified. It's got to be third-party tested. You know, all the stuff that we all uh, who are blind understand about apps Uh, If there's a website, which of course there would be, it needs to be accessible. And if there are people who don't have access to smartphones, there needs to be a way for people who don't have a smartphone who can call and maybe talk to a call center, kind of like an OnStar, uh, both to request trips and uh, during a trip if something happens. 
Um, you know, these are all kind of you know, pieces of that puzzle. So the idea is that there's an app that you download the app to your phone. It's an accessible app. You set up a profile, uh, you know, a payment method, and you schedule trips through the app or maybe through a call center. Um, and just like you would, for example, paratransit, you, you know, wh- when do I want to be picked up? Where do I want to go? Um, you know, you pay, you pay the price and, and the vehicle is uh, sent to you. Uh, in these cases, the apps um, would monitor the vehicle's progress. They would give you, you know, estimated time to, to arrival at your, at your pickup point. Um, and then they would certainly monitor your trip. You would be able to, to re, you know, use the app probably to manage functions within the vehicle. Uh, you know, uh, open the doors, lock the doors, um, set the air conditioner, the, you know, the climate control, maybe play music, um, call for help. Uh, possibly uh, pay for the trip. So the functionality of the vehicle would be available to you through the app, which would be accessible. I'll talk about the cars in a minute. Um, one of the, uh, so, so that's the app. So as a blind person, you've got an app, you can use it, you can call the vehicle. What about when it comes? One of the conversations that is being discussed is how do you find the vehicle and how do you find the right vehicle. Let's say you're at a concert and the concert lets out 8,000 people leave the arena. Everybody's calling autonomous vehicles. How do you find yours? Um, and there's a lot of conversation right now about what that looks like. Um, so, and, and, the, and the ideas are all over the place. I mean, you know, we start of course with the obvious honking of the horn. Well, that's going to be great. 8,000 horns are going to be honking at once. Um, because everybody's vehicle is going to be summoning them to their app. Um, another possibility is that haptics inside your phone, which is the stuff that makes the phone vibrate and jiggle and do the things that it does. Haptics are actually, there are, is a company that's using haptics to basically guide you via haptics. So let's say you're walking toward a vehicle. Um, when you're walking, um, the phone will actually vibrate. Uh, on the left side, if you need to veer to that side or on the right side, if you need to veer to that side, and it'll literally guide you to your vehicle. Um, the, yeah, there's some other options uh, providing walking directions uh, to you through your phone as you're making the trek to the vehicle. Um, so those are still decisions that are to be made, but there is a recognition that you've got to be able to find the right vehicle. Um, there is conversation about making sure that the vehicle is closed and locked until you are there with your phone and you, because the vehicle is accessing your account, you're the only one and your phone is the only phone that can actually access the vehicle. Um, so those are things that are kind of still getting you know, talked through, um, but those are the kinds of ideas that are, that are out there in play right now. So the vehicle itself, um, it's, you know, right now the vehicles, most of the vehicles are manufactured uh, for, they're basically modified vehicles. So like Chrysler Pacifica, um, maybe it's a Mercedes-Benz. These are vehicles that have been been built uh, for the general market and they've been modified to be autonomous. Uh, There are companies, uh, including GM, which are working on vehicles that are purpose built to autonomous to be autonomous. What that what that ultimately means is they don't have a driver's seat. Um, 
And there's a lot of conversation around the vehicle's architecture. How many people is it going to hold? What are the seats going to be like? Are they all forward facing or do they, or do they face the middle so that if you're sitting with a group of people, you can face each other? Um, are they fold, flip up or fold down so you can accommodate luggage or a wheelchair or maybe a service animal? Those are questions that aren't entirely answered yet, but, they're, but we have the chance to really design the vehicle's interior based on the use of, of, of its use as an autonomous vehicle. Um, and that gives us all sorts of opportunities to think about what's, what actually makes sense. Um, because honestly, having a vehicle like um, a Nissan Sentra doesn't make sense. Um, I mean, no offense to Nissan, but you know, the, all the seats face forward and there's this, because there's this idea that you have to look forward because there's a driver and da da da. all those rules don't apply. So they can kind of do whatever they want. Um, there is a, there is a recognition that any controls inside the vehicle that the customer interacts with must be accessible for everybody to interact with either because they've been labeled and they're tactile or by virtue of using your phone, um, to, to operate. And again, the, one of the tricks here is if you have people using, um, who, who don't have smartphones, they still have to be able to use this vehicle too. So I, personally believe you're going to see controls in the vehicles. Those are going to ultimately uh, be accessible. Uh, the, you know, the course, the question is how accessible and how easy to use. That's a whole nother thing. Um, some people are really good with that kind of stuff. I personally, uh, not so much. I can't program my own VCR and I gave up on the TV remote a long time ago. Um, but I, I do think that there are going to be controls in the vehicle um, I will tell you that the Waymo I sat in had controls that had Braille labels. And I was very impressed and happy. Um, but that, yeah, I don't know if that's where it'll end up. So um, so that's, I'm going to stop there. I just threw a ton of information at you. Um, but that is kind of where the basic discussion around accessibility is sitting right now. And I'll open it up for questions or comments um, at this point. And I also could use a time check. I'm not looking at my clock. Okay, currently... It's 5.32 on the Pacific Coast, 8.32 uh, Eastern. Uh, at some point, would you address the fact that generally when you've got something brand new like this, there is more than one company trying to get into the marketplace? So how, what kind of consistency can we expect across the board consistency or does it depend on the company? It's a great question. Um, I think there is... I don't think we know yet. It depends, to, in my opinion, and I don't have any basis for this other than just having worked around government for my whole career. It depends on how much regulation happens. Um, if the government regulates, to the extent that it's regulated, it will be consistent. To the extent that it is not regulated, it will not be consistent. So I personally believe that you're going to see a basic level of accessibility that will be mandated. Um, but the government probably won't go to the level of telling people exactly what that has to look like. Um, I do think that the, on, in terms of accessibility, I think there are some basics that we can expect. I think, I mean, I think we can expect apps that are relatively accessible. Um, I think we can expect vehicles that um, are, will probably have very different looking interiors and styles. You may see, uh, some variation based on uh, customer preferences. So for example, you might see a graduated line of, of services 
a basic service that costs less, a luxury service that costs more, you know, that kind of thing, like you do with Uber and Lyft. Um, but I think the basic accessibility is going to look fairly similar because I think that piece will be regulated. Well, yeah. Okay, there was an earlier question from area code 207. Hi, this is fascinating. This is Margaret up in Maine. Um, I, I have a question about going back to the um, levels of... Um, Automation? Thank you, yes. Um, mm-hmm. The level four uh, is, sounds sort of fascinating when you were talking about the cars, I guess, being programmed to, to work in specified areas. And I was mm-hmm. wondering... How how is this determined? Are we are we talking about like a few blocks or a few square miles or a small city, and and who makes those determinations, and can they be changed or modified? Um, you know, um, time. Yeah, it's the it's it's the vehicle's manufacturer. So, um, in the case of Waymo, which is the one I'm most familiar with, you know, they have the they have they have a a facility where they are basically equipping these cars and putting them out. And they have mapped the areas around their facility because they were doing testing and and they needed a test environment. As time has progressed, they have continued to map more and more and more and more of the areas adjacent to those areas. So what I think, you know, right now, and I don't, I'm not an expert on the mapping, like which, who's mapping what. Um, My guess is each company is mapping the stuff it cares about. I am guessing um, that a lot of that data is is somewhat proprietary and guarded, um, you know, with uh, many layers of security. I think the time will come when that data becomes uh, democratized and available to anybody, um, but that we're not at that stage yet. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. And just for size, by the way, to give you a basis. Um, uh, the the Phoenix metropolitan areas, I believe, is around twenty five hundred square miles, and I believe the area that Waymo has currently mapped is a little bit over a hundred square miles. So it's a pretty small slice of the of the overall metropolitan area. Okay, Jenna is next. Hi, you said that, that these vehicles would accommodate wheelchairs. Does that include power chairs that would require a lift or a ramp to get into them? Yes, um, it does. The question probably is more of how large will they ultimately go? Um, one of the things in transit, the, when the ADA was signed uh, 30 plus years ago, the definition of a common wheelchair was smaller than what m- many, many people are using today. And so mm-hmm. agencies have had to kind of figure that out. Um, and the statute has never actually really been fully changed, but it's been kind of adjusted a little bit to make for a little bit more size. But um, ultimately, I think what you're going to see is anything within a certain size envelope is going to be able to be accommodated, but there may be an upper limit uh, of size and weight just imposed based on the the capabilities of the technology. Okay, that is good news. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, Steve is next. Yes, uh, thank you. Ron, very interesting. Steve Mendelson here. Ron, very interesting as always. Two quick questions, if I might. Number one, on the question of regulation, would you agree uh, that it's likely to be a higher degree of regulation than industry would normally want simply because the alternative to federal regulation would be fragmented state regulation in a vacuum and the industry is not going to want that? Yeah, I think that's true. Um, the industry, um, 
most, and, and this is actually a historical challenge. Um, most, and this is my understanding, most um, automotive regulations are not so much on the vehicle safety. That, that tends to be more at the federal level. But a lot of the driving and insurance regulations are at the state level. And I think the industry is, would probably prefer to have it at the, at the federal level. Yeah. Thank you. And secondly, uh, your discussion of the issues involved in finding the vehicle are very, is very interesting. But I'm wondering what attention or thought has been given to the question of how you find your location once you exit the vehicle. Uh, for, for the system, uh, for the uh, company or the autonomous vehicle communication system to work on that level, you'd have to be able to inform it where you uh, want it to go, not merely a general location, but with, you know, which building or which exit of a parking lot or something of that nature. Has much thought been given to that issue? Yeah, the, the conversation has happened. Um, it is a harder problem um, because the one thing about the, the beginning of the trip is the vehicle, you are somewhere and the vehicle is somewhere else. And if you can, if you can draw a string between those two locations, we can get you to it. The, the harder problem is, is when you're at the end of the trip, you're trying yeah. to go somewhere and the vehicle can't possibly know where that is. So that is something that is being discussed. Um, my personal feeling is that there is a tremendous opportunity and, and it's something that I've been kind of working to promote in my own kind of work in the industry is relationships between vehicle manufacturers and wayfinding companies like um, I mean, and I, I don't want to name a bunch of names to, to create endorsements, but companies that are developing technology that blind people can use to navigate, um, you know, in very small kind of, um, you know, with a, with a very s- small margin of error. So, you know, beacon technology, um, uh, LIDAR kinds of technology, uh, indoor mapping kinds of technologies, you know, those, those things. Okay. Now, uh, Steve Bauer. Hi, Ron. Thanks so much for your presentation tonight, and I've really learned a lot from the ones you've done at ACB over the years. I'm curious, uh, real world, you mentioned the pizza delivery in Texas, mm-hmm. and I know there's at least one delivery in California. Here in L.A., it's 20 miles from where I am. But uh, right now, today, if I order a pizza, how do I find the pizza, or how does it find me? So I don't, I don't know a lot. I had a, I had a meeting with these guys because I was really interested in how they solved for this problem. And um, I, I don't, I didn't get a clear answer. I know that the, the V, the, the vehicle has multiple compartments and it can, so it can store like more than one. And in theory, what happens is it presents you with a compartment that has your food. Um, I don't actually know beyond that, what kind of, um, you know, what kind of features it has. I, I read on actually on Facebook of all places that, and it was from someone in our, in, in our blind community that interacted with one of these. And it wasn't in Texas. I think it might've even been in Ohio, but I don't quote me on that. I can't remember the state. And they had a real challenge because they, the pizza, they had a pizza robot. It brought the pizza or the food or whatever it was bringing. It was something that, something that was food. And the challenge wasn't getting the food from the robot. The challenge was that the robot got to them. And the robot wasn't, it stopped. It was, it was there and they couldn't find the robot. And that, that was, um, you know, that was the challenge. So I think there's still, yeah, things to work out. Even, even, even beyond blind people, like the, the place I live at, um, you know, my unit 
it's on a map that's available to homeowners, but it's not a publicly available, you know, uh, on Google Maps. It'll get you to the front entrance, and that's pretty much it. So, I, I well, Google know. Earth actually has a, has all of it. And so, remember, there's lots of data layers that are out there. Um, so, your your streets are available on Google Earth, and um, you know, it's not just looking at named streets; it's going to be looking at unnamed streets. And so, I mean, I think those are very surmountable problems. Um, we dealt with those in paratransit. I mean. When I was doing that a few years ago, we had lots of large communities in Phoenix and particularly out in the suburbs that are senior communities that have one address. It's the clubhouse. And then there's, you know, five, six hundred homes that radiate out from that, which don't have street addresses or they, you know, they have PO boxes. And, um, you know, the, we had to learn to navigate them and we used Google Earth and all sorts of, you know, things that were out there to try to figure that out. So okay, I, think yeah, that's I guess you have yeah. No, our, uh, we we have street addresses, but all that is is a unit yeah. in the building. So, <laughs> but yeah. yeah well, the other good. thing that is 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 the location services on your phone are becoming more and more and more accurate. So, um, even today, if you use, for example, Lyft and you have the um, share share location feature turned on, um, in theory, and it doesn't always work perfectly, but it works often. The driver is actually able to see the location of your actual phone. Uh, once they get within a certain, um, you know, radius of where you are. Okay. Thanks. So, so we'll see. I, I do think that's an area that we're going to see. I mean, I think when this stuff launches, there's going to be all sorts of, uh, you know, things that come up like that. I mean, it's going to be that last 10 feet. Um, that's always going to be the hardest. Okay. Next is uh, David Mandel. Hi, Ron. Um, is there any effort at all to create an industry association or all these companies working at cross purposes? And my second quick question is, is the most realistic goal right now to reach autonomy level number four that is within a mapping fence area, like you said? I don't know the answer to your first question. I have not seen an AV manufacturers association. Um, so I don't, I don't actually know the answer to that. Um, as far as your second question, I think level four is the level that is realistic. It's, it's sort of interesting. The, the transportation industry and, you know, the federal government is, is investing, I'm, I'm not going to say a ton, but they're investing a fair amount of research money in autonomous use, uh, the use of autonomous vehicles in, say, public transportation. Maybe it's in buses or in paratransit or whatever. Um, their investment, they have, they have purposefully with some intention said, we're not too sure about level three because it, because it creates some safety concerns um, and they're more interested in level four. So I do think that level four has more impetus behind it, at least at the federal level. And one more quick comment. I recently had a DoorDash robot experience where mm -hmm. I had no idea that I was blind, even though I put it in the special instructions. And I had to chase it. It kept on moving. It didn't stop at all. And it wouldn't let me get the, the, the pizza out. That I, well, it wasn't a pizza, but anyway, the food out. And so I was able to get the number of the inter, human intervener, and the intervener guided it back to me. But it was really strange. <laughs> Yeah, so I, just yeah. I, I think we'll have some stuff like that, you know, uh, loose autonomous vehicles driving around. America's <laughs> Funniest Videos yeah. has another category. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll just call it blind people chasing video, chasing autonomous vehicles. Yeah. 
Okay, I don't see any qu- more questions at this moment. All right, let me just, I'm just going to look through here. Um, so we've talked about some of the challenges. Um, we've talked about some of the ongoing efforts to address the technology. Um, I think what I want to do is kind of maybe close out with just a little bit of a conversation about what we as advocates um, can do, um, both kind of at, at maybe individual as individuals and also uh, within a, yeah, ACB chapters, um, you know, oh, our oh, special interest okay. affiliates to kind of really focus on this technology. Um, uh, first off, as individuals, I, I think, um, and it's very interesting. Um, I expected at least one person to come on the call and go, I am never getting in one of those vehicles. You would never catch me dead in one because if I was in it, that's the only way I'd be in it. Um, and I haven't heard anybody raise that. I do want to just share a couple of interesting statistics to that, to that point. Um, the National Highway and Safety, uh, National Highway Tra- and Traffic Safety Administration, I always get the letters mixed up. That agency, NHTSA, um, has for a long time, uh, I mean, years upon years, published a statistic that around 95% of accidents, of all accidents, are contributed to all or in part by human error. And 94%, which means that basically 6% of the accidents out there could not have been avoided by, by human intervention. Um, many accidents that currently happen um, that involve human interaction would not occur with an autonomous vehicle. They just wouldn't because the vehicles stop. Um, the, the vehicles are basically um, programmed to, to avoid uh, c- contact with other things. Um, they are using quite a bit of technology to detect those things. And at the end of the day, the vehicle has the ability to just suddenly stop. If, if it can't avoid an obstacle, it still has the ability to, to shut down immediately. And, and from my standpoint, I would rather let's let's say for example that autonomous vehicles have I mean and they do have they do have accidents by the way very few accidents that have been fully investigated that involved autonomous vehicles resulted from the autonomous technology failing they resulted from human uh, humans misuse of the technology either uh, an observer um, not um, intervening when they should um, or uh, somebody else in a different vehicle or a pedestrian making a, a, a poor decision that the vehicle couldn't compensate. Um, but even if the even if the technology resulted in say ten percent of the accidents that we have today, it'd be a ninety percent reduction. Um, this technology, I believe, will, will will completely revolutionize the way that transportation works. Um, I believe it will be safer for pedestrians as long as those pedestrians are um, following the rules that pedestrians are supposed to follow, because these vehicles are programmed to know that when you approach a crosswalk, there could be people in it Um, and they can stop for people because people actually aren't going very fast. Um, You know, they are designed to see things like bicycles and they can avoid bicycles. Um, So I think that we're going to see a lot of uh, effort made by the industry to inform uh, and I think eventually 
we're going to see that as this technology rolls out, um, there are safety implications and they are positive. Um, of course, we're also going to have accidents because we are learning a new thing. Um, and most people think that the trickiest time is going to be when the technology is in transition. So you have a mix of autonomous vehicles mixing with non-autonomous vehicles driven by humans because you're going to have a period of time when the humans believe that the autonomous vehicle is looking out for them and they're not going to make good decisions. So I think there is a period of time of transition. Most people think that, you know, at the end of the day, this is much safer, tech, uh, much safer technology. Someone asked earlier about, um, you know, what happens when the vehicle stops and you're blind? Um, you know, we all know that computers crash. Um, they crash. I don't know. Mine crashes more often than I'd like. Um, when it does, there's the blue screen of death, or so I'm told it's blue. And then you, and it goes 99 and you have to restart. Um, this technology is certainly going to have, I would think, um, it's going to have a lot of redundance, but there are going to be times when computers fail. Um, you know, there are some people who are concerned about the security of, of, of these networks, which are most certainly going to be connected networks where cars talk to each other and they talk to traffic signals, um, because that's partly how they are safe. Um, those networks, you know, some people believe those are uh, those networks are at risk of security. Um, so they're going to have a lot of redundancy, but there are going to be issues um, at some point. Most, I don't know if there's consensus, but I believe the the proper answer is that there will be a call for help button. Um, and I I personally believe that these companies, especially at first, are going to launch with call centers like OnStar, um, so that you are able to uh, call for help from a vehicle that is stranded. So I personally, as a blind person, am not concerned about this issue because if I was in a car with an Uber driver or if I was in a taxi or if I was with a personal you know, friend or a family member and if the car is in an accident, I'm in no, no better position and no worse position than I would be in an autonomous vehicle. I'd be in a vehicle that's not moving and I'd be somewhere that I wouldn't know and I'd have to get help. And I think that I would solve the problem then the same way I would have to solve it now. I'd pull out my phone and I'd call for help. So I think that's going to be continue to be the solution uh, that we operate with, uh, with this technology. So we have, we have one hand. What, okay. And let me just a couple more ahead, quick sure, remarks yeah. and then I'll, yep. Let me just finish real quick. So um, the, I think as individuals educating yourselves, uh, there are some really good, um, you know, just do a Google search. Um, Waymo has their blog. Uh, I know that a lot of these companies are putting out a lot of content on social media. Um, you know, and those, these are company pages. You can follow them. Uh, the, the USDOT is putting out quite a bit of, of content. So educating yourselves on the technology, uh, educating yourselves on uh, what your individual state is doing. Uh, some states, particularly Texas, uh, Arizona, uh, I'd say Florida. Uh, these are really the states in California uh, also to an extent. These are the states where this technology is accelerating the fastest. Um, Michigan is doing some stuff as well. You know, paying attention to what your state is doing uh, in terms of regulation uh, and really having input in those processes. Um, local chapters, uh, state affiliates, you know, having you know, reaching out. If you have an autonomous vehicle manufacturer in your state or in your in your community, they are very open to talking to the public um, and answering questions. 
if you're lucky enough to live or, or be associated with an organization that's, that's within the service area of one of these companies, um, they, they might bring a vehicle and show it off. So, um, you know, there's, these are great speakers. They're very entertaining. They're very popular. And, and, um, it's a good way for people to get their hands on what the current technology looks like. So, um, I'll, I'll stop there. And, um, it sounds like we had a couple more questions, so I'll stop there. Okay. Uh, Nikki has her hand up. Okay. Hi there. This has been really interesting because, um, um, I've, I've been thinking about this forever, <laughs> for many, many years, and I'm glad that it's finally going to be a reality. But I'm curious about how they test the stopping speed of a vehicle. For example, if you're driving down the street and you see a ball come out in front of you, or if you, you know, if, if, if the regular drivers, mm-hmm. um, you know that a kid's going to follow it. So are they are they checking to see if the car will react to a ball as well as a child, and how quickly can the car stop once that happens? The answer to the first question is absolutely yes. Um, these cars are because of, and the, the, the cars are different. I mean, different companies have different, you know, kinds of configurations of cameras and technology to see things, um, but they are all focused on any obstacle larger than, say, a bird, like a small bird, is going to wow. be detectable by the vehicle um, in any direction. Um, up to a certain distance. And I'm sure, I don't know the answer to the second part of your question, but as in what is the stopping speed? I am sure that it's being tested. And there is a relationship between how much camera distance uh, they are providing the vehicle with and its ability to stop. Because again, the whole point here of the camera and of all that technology is to see obstacles in sufficient time to avoid them. So the stopping distance is certainly within the envelope of how far the vehicle can see. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Wonderful representation. Okay, and Carla is next. This has been fascinating, you know. It really has. And I'm having some frustrations with my shared ride. They've made me late for work almost every day this school year. But anyhow, just two quick questions. Um um, do these vehicles, um, do they make any sound so that, you know, that a pedestrian can, uh, you know, because we've talked about quiet cars and, and things like that. Do, do they make sounds that a pedestrian can, pedestrian can gauge when they're crossing the street? And the other question I have is, I still don't quite understand how you react to these vehicles and when you get in one, unless they're all the same and it's part of your mobility train to learn um, where all the controls are and um, how, if you are getting it independently, how you know how to use it and how you interact, yeah. you talk to it or, you know what I mean? It's a great question. Yeah. Um, per, okay. So with regard to your first question of, um, I'm trying to remember your first question. I got I got so distracted by your second question. I forgot your first question. What was your first question? Okay, let me go on with the second. And if you want to unmute and ask the first, um, I think the vehicles will not be the same. And I think that the way that you um, that I would expect that you would manage the vehicle is, I mean, first off, it's autonomous. You might be in there alone you probably have the opportunity to take a look at the controls before you let the vehicle go. So that would be cool to be able to actually get in a car and explore without somebody telling you don't touch that. Um, 
But I also think that you'll be able to control the vehicle through a phone, through your phone. So I think that you'll be able to tell the vehicle, there'll be a button that says, ready, let's go or whatever. Um, So you'll have the ability to learn the app and the app will control the car. Um, As far as talking to it, that's a really good idea. Um, I'm not sure if um, it wouldn't surprise me if somebody is, is incorporating uh, that kind of technology into their um, development, although it's not something that um, has come up in any of the meetings I've been in. Um, but we have talked about as from the community side that having um, an, a, a, a smart speaker type device, an A-Lady type device built into the cars that you can talk to is a way that makes it very accessible to a large number of people. All right. I don't think Carla is back. You may have answered the first question. Not sure. Can you hear me now? There you are. Yes, go ahead. Yeah. Um, the other question was about the, the sound that is emitted from the vehicle. Uh, yes, yes. Um, so th- I believe most of these vehicles are going to be electric because that is where the entire industry is going. That is where buses are going. Uh, trains are already largely there. Um, cars are coming along. Um, we are going to have to cope with the electric vehicle question as a much larger question. It doesn't just apply to autonomous vehicles. Um, so the nice thing is, unlike electric cars driven by human beings who make lots of mistakes due to inattention and other reasons, these vehicles are going to be designed to see anything larger than a bird and not hit it. Ron, thank you so much for an incredibly fascinating hour. Let me ask you if you would like to give contact information, should anyone like to ask further questions, et cetera. Yep. Um, you can follow me on Facebook or LinkedIn. I'm happy. And, you know, I love to engage in these conversations. And um, you can also reach out to me at uh, my work email address, which is ron at accessibleavenue, all one word, dot net. And happy to chat. Terrific. Thanks so much. It's been a great hour. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. Great questions. Very great engagement. This is a lot of fun. Next week, uh, we did this for years and we stopped a couple of years ago, but a lot of people wanted us to bring back uh, stocking stuffers for the for the holidays. We'll have two vendors next week, two the following week. And again on uh, November 29, Myrna Voda and Andrea DeClotz have largely been responsible for putting this together. And the ne- the first uh, Stocking Stuffers Part 1 will be next week here. So uh, come back and join us and learn about uh, two vendors. And, uh, and you'll also get a chance to have your questions answered as well. Thank you so much, everybody. And join us next week for another version of Tech Talk.